welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show where we talk about short video games, the kind of things you can pick up and complete in an evening or a weekend, games that respect your time. I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week once again by my charming co-host, Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? Oh, I'm charming. Thank you. I'm doing great. I'm just buttering you up because we are going to be seeing each other uh, in person for the first time in a while uh, tomorrow, actually. Yes, we are going to Nate's wedding. Yep, that's the reason Nate is not here. Nate is getting married in only a matter of days, or really hours at this point. So uh, we're off to St. Louis to uh, to visit with him. And Shane, Shane couldn't make it to the wedding. How are you doing, Shane? Um, I'm also uh, looking forward to being buttered up. <laughs> <laughs> Shane, you're wonderful. I saw Shane last week, actually. He um, saved me from my family. Hmm. So Yes, it was a sacrifice. Uh, but I stepped in and got you out of the way. You did. Thank you very much. And this week, our topic is really, really exciting because uh, longtime listeners to the show might know that one of the sort of categories of short games that we're most interested in is interactive fiction. I've been playing interactive fiction of one kind or another since I had a computer with a keyboard. Um, that first computer without a keyboard wasn't really useful. It was much le- less useful. But but this year, we're covering. we're doing our best to cover... Um, the interactive fiction scene a little bit. Yeah, we we did our last episode on interactive fiction on uh, the occasion of the 2015 Spring Thing, which is a big interactive fiction festival uh, in which we covered, uh, let's see, which specific games? Toby's Nose was among them. Uh, That was a really good one. Yeah, Uh, the Hadean Lands was discussed. Uh, We We talked talked about about a whole bunch of games uh, in that episode. And we have another uh, interactive fiction episode back before that where we talked about the form more generally. And just recently we did a great, well, I'm tooting my own horn, but we did did an episode that I really enjoyed on the collected works of Porpentine. Eczema Angel Orifice. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I think intentionally so, but that that uh, that title always makes me a little uncomfortable to hear. Definitely intentional. But today we're talking about interactive fiction competition, IFCOM, um, which is this annual event that they've been going on for, I think this is the 20th, 20th anniversary. And every year you get to submit. Um, judges who have played five of the games of submission can start at least five, can vote on their favorite over the course of about a month. Um, and it's just kind of been, it's the big competition of the year for interactive fiction. Yeah, it's sort of the the core of the interactive fiction community as a sort of a scene. You know, it's been going since 1995, and it's had basically the same format and basically the same schedule since then. So it's really kind of impressive to see really anything continue on the internet that long and, you know, not get exploded or derailed or significantly altered. This is a, a, this is a kind of a really important um, thing. It's been around a long time. And anybody can submit a game. And, uh, and this year, 55 authors submitted games to the interactive fiction competition. That's just amazing. Yeah, it's really gotten bigger and bigger and bigger over the last few years, which is a real surprise because in a way, the interactive fiction competition, it's kind of its function, or at least way back in the 90s, was to give interactive fiction some spotlight at a time when it had almost none and at a time when, you know, the interactive fiction had been a commercial product. It had been, you know, a a thing that people would produce and sell in boxes, you know, uh, companies like... Um, Infocom, and that market collapsed 
but as a hobbyist pursuit, it continued on. And what's kind of interesting now is that it's kind of come full circle again, and we're looking at some interactive fiction being commercial products and and kind of being a part of the wider video game landscape again. Yeah, I think the first uh, game that I played from IF Comp was uh, Slouching Towards Bedlam mm. that won all the way back in uh, 2003, I think. And uh, that was right around the time I was just starting to get, uh, starting to really become aware of interactive fiction as an art form and not just as sort of the the weird text games that my crappy computer was able to play. And th- I think the, the one that I most enjoyed and it just sort of stands out to me was uh, Float Point. Uh, a couple years after that was, uh, I think 2005 or six was Float Point by Emily Short. That was an awesome one because I was I was super into that because I love sci-fi and it was uh, really accessible and really cool. Uh, and then I think one you know the next year after that was Lost Pig, which oh, is still by far one of my favorites of all time, just because it's it's so funny. Yeah, well, the wonderful thing about IF Comp is that all of these games, by the rules of the competition, are free, and they've done a great job of curating the winners of the various competitions over the years on their website. So you can go back through and see every game that's been entered in the uh, the competition, how it ranked. They even give you some interesting stats about it. Um, one of the things I really like about the the website and about the competition generally is that they have not just a first place and second place and so on winners. They also have um, sort of side competitions, one called the Miss Congeniality Awards, where only the authors are able to vote, and another called the Golden Banana of Discord, <laughs> where uh, the game that has the highest standard deviation in its scores wins. So usually it's the one uh, that's the most controversial, where some people strongly like it and other people strongly don't. And I think it's really interesting to look at the first and second and third place every year, but also those others. Uh, Sometimes there's an overlap and other times it's a really interesting selection. And basically every interactive fiction game that I've ever played that I thought was really amazing has at least placed. And it's just great to be able to go back and, and look at this this timeline of of the great interactive fiction pieces uh, since you know post commercial era. So this year we're talking about the 2015 entries, and with 55 of them, we kind of didn't know where to start. We were a little lost. Um, yeah, there are games about every topic, pretty much. I mean, just scanning through, there are pirates. There are games about magical foster care. Um, There are games about (laughs) obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, And there are a lot of games where the the introduction to them is a piece of very um, ephemeral kind of surrealist text, which doesn't tell you what the game might be about. So it can be really challenging, especially if you aren't used to playing out of interactive fiction. You see a lot of different formats to know where to start. Mm -hmm. But we cheated and contacted an expert. We really did. Um, So I I shot an email to Emily Short, who is uh, one of the great interactive fiction writers. Um, You know, you probably, if you're sort of into the interactive fiction scene, you're probably already familiar with her work. Her most famous thing um, is Galatea, which is the, uh, uh, which is a really amazing interactive fiction piece. Yeah, she's a real, she's a real thought leader in terms of interaction and characterization in games. Yeah. And yeah, she's a she's great writer on her blog as well, where she is constantly writing about uh, new and interesting interactive fiction. So she's a great person with her, you know, finger on the pulse of this scene. And um, she was kind enough to, when the initial 
list of entries was finally released, um, she went through and played at least a couple minutes of almost all of them and was kind enough to give us her initial impressions, which gave us some help in picking uh, what to take a look at first. So we won't be able to really anywhere near cover all of the games here, but we've each tried to play a, a few of them. I would actually love for us to have uh, to to spend more time with these games and and return to them on another another episode. I think yeah. we need to. It's going to take more than one episode of the short game to fully cover this competition. If we're really, really think that's do it true. Right. At the very least, we're going to return to it and talk about what the winners are after the competition closes in about a month. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I'd absolutely love to come back to these. I think probably the easiest way for us to go through this would basically be in alphabetical order. That's just because that's the order they're sitting in front of me in here. Does Fair that sound enough. good to you guys? Sure thing. And that's also the list that uh, you, the listeners at home, will see them on the website. So yes. I guess that means as I have one with the number at the beginning, <laughs> I will be starting. Um, the first one I played um, was Five Minutes to Burn Something, exclamation point, um, by Alex Butterfield. Um, and it is a game in which you have set off the fire alarm in your apartment one too many times. Um, and this time, if there is not an actual fire by the time the firemen come, you will be fined $300 that you don't have. <laughs> so oh, no. in your tiny, empty apartment, which is just the saddest thing on the planet, every time you're looking, um, and this is a game where you are typing in commands, um, so every time you type look, you are seeing something else depressing and cobwebby and <laughs> sparse. Um, it's super funny. It's charming. Um, I will say that the commands are a little unforgiving. Um, often I solved the puzzle and could not brute force my way into actually solving the puzzle. Mm. Where I would, you know, I had the wrong preposition. Or it is a British game. So... I might have said garbage instead of rubbish. Oh, oh my gosh. Um, and uh, it is very, the commands are very narrow. However, I played to the end, um, even though the first time I lost and went insane because the fire, I couldn't turn off the fire alarm. <laughs> Didn't realize that was the first puzzle. I was just trying to start a fire. Um, always pay attention, folks, to the warning at something's driving you insane in a piece of interactive fiction. It's never not actually caused you to go insane, and I don't know why I thought that <laughs> this smoke alarm was any exception. That's um, great. Definitely recommend. It's funny. It's fast. That um, reminds me of uh, of the original Hitchhiker's game where you're trying to turn off the alarm clock and get out of bed. Absolutely. And you part of the fun is discovering what the next task you must accomplish is because it is harder to start a fire than you might think in your sad, decrepit, lonely apartment. Okay. So any, any clues for, for people who want to try and attempt this one? Read the text because I, there was a hidden room I didn't see in the first time. Um, look under things, look behind things. Um, and I think the biggest waste of time, I would say, is don't worry about looking at walls or, like, floors. There's nothing there. The The text will tell you what you need. Um, and use the inventory command. There are oh, things yeah. you don't realize you have. Yeah, you know, Parser Interactive Fiction generally, I think, has a um, a steeper learning curve for folks who haven't played much of it before, because there's a certain assumption that, you know, you understand, you know, okay, I can use cardinal directions to move, things like, you know, N and S will let me do that without having to type in full words, you know, I for inventory, nobody, you know, there's, there's no 
um, there's no real clear like tutorial in most of these games because it's sort of assumed that there's this sort of shared vocabulary between these types of games. Just like you don't pick up a book and and read read a page telling you how to turn pages. You know that's actually that's actually almost universally true. But one of the nice things in one of the games I played was that it starts by asking you, "Have you played interactive fiction before?" Mm, Which I love that. Yeah, so I think it's yeah. smart to do. Actually, almost every one of the games I played did have that to some extent. I think Five Minutes to Burn Something was just a pretty short intro, so it didn't include the inventory command. Um, mm. I, I knew to use it, but um, if you're new, just know that you can check what you have on you. It is included in the hint system as well. It's a good thing to look out for. A lot of these games are starting to do that really well because this scene is starting to expand past people who you know, have been playing these things since Zork. Um, so yeah, it's good to hear. Um, and maybe that's the sort of thing that can be built on as, you know, th- these games aren't always in a 100% finished form when they're submitted to this competition, because something kind of interesting about it is that all of these games debut as a part of the competition. This isn't a sort of Academy Awards of best interactive fiction of the year. This is something where people submit these games and actually until recently, until apparently the rules changed a little bit this year, they weren't really even allowed to like hint about the games to people. These games have to debut as a part of this competition, um, which is really an interesting approach. Um, so you played one other game, right, Laura? I played two others, but um, I'll, the other one also took place in a dismal apartment, but I'll get to that in a minute. Hmm. Um, I did not mean that to be my theme of the, the games I chose. Um, my second uh, game on this list to talk about, though, is Arcane Intern, parentheses, Unpaid. Perhaps I just really enjoy punctuation. Um, <laughs> By the way, the author's name for that is great. Astrid Dalmady. I hope I'm I pronouncing that right. That's great. Astrid Dalmady. It's wonderful. I wonder if that's a, that's a you know, nom de plume. If not, I praise her parents or herself for picking that name. Mm-hmm. But Arcane Intern Unpaid is a, a game set in, um, you go to a publishing house Things are a little off in the publishing house, but you read a lot of uh, a Harry Potter-esque fantasy series, so you think you know what you're doing. You get your internship, they put on a sigil, and oh, it's actually a magic chop. And you are um, essentially a muggle in the magical world, Um, but you have to do things like get coffee. (laughs) <laughs> but it's always more complicated because you're in the arcane world. It's super fun. I did not finish it. I'm stuck in a labyrinth on um, the second task. But um, it was a great palate cleanser after being stuck in two apartments in the other ones. Hmm. Um, very lovely so far. Um, I will find out how it ends once I get out of the click path labyrinth <sighs> I'm stuck in. One of the things I actually really like about the rules for IF Comp is that, you know, a lot of these games are either short or long. You know, some interactive fiction is something you can complete in 10 minutes. One of the games I played um, was something that took me no more than uh, maybe 45 minutes to complete. Um, But the uh, other interactive fiction can be quite long, particularly depending on, you know, your puzzle solving style. Um, so the IF Comp's judging rules, which I think are really smart for something where people might theoretically need to be playing a bunch of these things, is that you only need to play five games or more in order to be able to submit scores. 
And you don't have to necessarily complete the games. In fact, you're meant to judge the games only on the first two hours of your play. So the idea would be that once you begin playing a game, you would play it for two hours and then come to a conclusion about your one to 10 score for the game and then continue playing if you want. Um, which I think is smart because these games are debuting as a part of the competition. And that means that maybe they aren't really 100% complete. But what we're really judging them on is the initial quality that, you know, that, that, that sucking you in kind of feeling of the first couple of hours of play. And um, the games that I played definitely did suck me in in that initial time. So going in alphabetical order, um, the next one that I wanted to talk about that I played was Brain Guzzlers from Beyond by Steph Cherrywell. That's such a good title. It's fun. It's this was <laughs> this was really I, I I haven't completed it because it's a bit of a larger game. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And I got a little ways into it enough to get a pretty good sense of it. And the thing that I have to say about this one is that it reminds me more than almost any interactive fiction I've played in quite a while, of this sort of cavalier, fun, comedic. Um, puzzle-driven, but still really quirky and fun uh, sort of character of some of the older Infocom stuff. Uh, it's not really a direct comparison, but it reminded me a bit of um, things like uh, Planetfall. The theme of the game is it's sort of a 1950s horror movie kind of thing. Don't, don't Do you think that maybe is a kind of a throwback to Leather Goddesses of Phobos from Infocom? I guess maybe. I never played that one. Which is reference to The Martians, by the way. Oh, really? <laughs> the Martian this weekend included that uh, the uh, the female engineer Beth Johansson had a copy of Leather Goddesses of Phobos on her computer. Oh, man. <laughs> it even gets screen time, guys. Wow. No kidding. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Infocom lives again. So um, Brain Guzzlers from Beyond has this very sort of like golly gee, you know, 1950s-y uh, dialogue style. And it really plays that to a good effect. And also it has this kind of like weird um, split between you're in the moment playing as this girl, I think her name is Betsy or something like that. And, um, you know, playing in the scenario, but also it, it makes reference to the fact that you're kind of also in a 1950s-y horror movie. So for example, it calls a lot of the objects in the scene props. Um, you know, it's mostly this sort of like slight hint at breaking the third wall. Uh, and it's, uh, it starts with you necking in a car with your boyfriend and it asks you some interesting questions to kind of get a start of like, what sort of person are you is Betsy that you're playing as. So it has you filling out a, uh, uh like a Cosmo style survey in a magazine while you're, while you're killing time with your boyfriend up on this ridge. And of course, then you're attacked by a brain guzzler from beyond. And then the rest of the game is you kind of solving puzzles in a very infocom kind of way to try to stop the brain guzzlers from guzzling the brains of everyone in town. And uh, it's really, it's really fun. I, I wrote down a couple of quick quotes from it because I thought that the, the dialogue was so adorable. Um, like you're, you know, you're in your car with Jimmy, your boyfriend. You leap on Jimmy. Jiminy Cricket, he says, as you blanket him with passionate kisses. Jeepers, you never knew you could be so daring. If mother saw you now, she'd flip. Still, it's nice, though, the feel of his breath on your neck, his muscular chest crushed against yours, those moist, unearthly slithering sounds coming from outside the car. <laughs> <laughs> Jeepers. Yeah, it was really cute. And, uh, 
jeepers, what a pickle, you think, as your forehead smashes into the steering column. Like, <laughs> it's really cute. Lots of great little uh, little turns of phrase. And the puzzles are pretty fun, but not super challenging. Like, I, I thought the puzzles were simple and direct and easy to understand. I haven't completed the game yet, so maybe it gets a lot harder a little later in. But it's really cute, and so far I'm really enjoying it. So I, I think it's uh, I think it's definitely one to keep an eye on and maybe to give a try if you're into that sort of light parser puzzle um, with you know fun uh, fun dialogue fun monologue. The other game that I played and did complete is one that actually just before we started recording got uh, removed from the from the ballot. I thought this was a really interesting um, sort of turn of events. So I'm going to talk about it anyway, even though if you are going to go and play the games of, you know, the 2015 uh, competition, you probably won't see this on your list. I'm not sure if they're going to remove the download link or whatever. But um, that's Emily is Away by Kyle Seeley. Um, Emily is Away is is a really interesting um, presentation of a game. Um, it's... Uh, it, is sort of a very custom interface, like very polished looking thing where uh, when you boot it up, it takes over your entire screen and it looks for all the world like you are running a computer running Windows XP or or before, um, you know, in 1994 or something like that. And, um, in, and it even goes so far as to like make little computer noises like the spinning of a, you know, failing hard drive and little modem tones from time to time. Like it really, really uh, goes the distance and makes it really, you know, it really evokes that era. Sounds a bit like her story. Yeah, it actually reminded me a lot of her story because her story had that sort of antique computer uh, interface style. Um, and everything about it really does a great job of making you feel like you are on the internet talking on AOL Instant Messenger on AIM back in 1995, an experience that I definitely had. I know that's sort of a generational thing now, but um, like definitely like really evoked those memories for me. Um, so you boot up Instant Messenger and you're having a series of conversations over a series of years with your friend Emily. And... Um, you're you're typing into the aim window. It gives you some really neat, like very. Oh, that's the title just made sense to me. Sorry. Yeah, Emily is away because at the end of every conversation, you know, it tells you Emily is away. Emily, Emily is, is away. Emily, yeah, that's lovely. It's great, and um, it's it's pretty short. Like I said, it's about forty five minutes. It takes place over a series of about five chapters. Each one of those takes place in a year, so it's like ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven, or something like that. Um, and it sort of tells the story of your the player's relationship with Emily and, you know, the mistakes that you make and the, um, you know, the kind of the way that people drift apart or come together. And it's uh, it's really different from a lot of the other types of games that I've played uh, in terms of these you know interactive fiction. You are basically picking dialogue options from a menu. But once you pick a dialogue option, you actually have to sort of bang on your keyboard to fill in the letters, which really makes it feel like you're chatting. Oh, cool. Like, you could literally just hit, like, one key on your keyboard a whole bunch of times. But you see each time you hit a key on your keyboard, it fills in one letter of your response to Emily. And it really <laughs> makes it feel like, oh, hey, I'm typing in. And it makes loud, clicky keyboard sounds, even if you don't have an awesome, loud, clicky keyboard. And it just really reminded me. Of the you know of the way that okay, it felt to okay, chat stop. on the internet. That's why Reagan likes this game. <laughs> He's obsessed with mechanical keyboards. It's true, but um, I'm also obsessed 
with the way that this game did its, you know, its typing mechanic. Like, it's more than just you hit these keys and it fills in your response. You actually kind of see the character that you're playing as thinking, because I know that I still do this to this day. When you're chatting on the internet, you'll type a sentence, look at it, reconsider, delete some of it, retype Mm -hmm. it, maybe a couple of times, and then hit send. And you see the character having these thoughts and, you know, trying to decide what to say to his friend Emily throughout this story. And one of the ways that it conveys that is by sort of showing him typing something in and then deleting some characters and retyping and maybe doing it a second time. Um, like, for example, you know, in, in an early conversation, he types in, you're my best friend, and then deletes best and writes, one of my best friends. <laughs> <laughs> And it's uh, it's giving you dialogue choices in a way that kind of reminds me of like The Walking Dead or other things like that. Like it even goes so far as to show some things like Emily will remember that when you say certain things. So it's really clearly just sort of a dialogue driven, you know, interactive narrative kind of thing. But um, you know, at the end of the forty five minutes or so that it took me to to play it, I found myself you know emotionally affected by it. It wasn't it didn't bowl me over completely, but it really did sort of suck me in. So um, I I definitely recommend this one. It's really pretty short and definitely worth playing. Apparently, they're now planning a commercial release of this game. And because that commercial release is going to fall within the period of the competition, they're withdrawing it from the competition. So it's not going to be voted on. Um, If you've already voted on it, your votes will still count. But um, they're they're basically withdrawing it from the competition, which I think is interesting. It's in the spirit of the competition. I think it's probably a good thing. And it's really interesting to see a game like this, which is sort of a emotionally driven, story driven, um, narrative game, becoming a commercial product that you can buy. I mean, this, we are we are you know now like two decades plus removed from the commercial era of interactive fiction. Um, but it's kind of interesting now to see you know, interactive fiction pieces. Yeah, coming back. Yeah, being being commercial products. So I think, I think that's for great. this show, it's also exciting to see uh, games moving towards commercial release at a length of like 45 minutes. I think that's the apotheosis of uh, the short game philosophy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very unusual style of game. I liked it a lot. I was reminded a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the adventure games that I've enjoyed, but it's really stripped down just to that, you know, story-driven emotional dialogue. And it really, really reminded me of what was great and also kind of horrifying about AOL Instant Messenger back in the day. I mean, something something that it made me think about a, a lot after I finished playing it was, like, how important that sort of online chat was to my social life back in those mm-hmm. days. You know, AOL or Instant Messenger was, like, really designed for and perfect for this sort of over-emotional conversation about friend drama and boyfriend drama and talking with your friends uh, you know it's it's uh, it's safer than flirting in person and so everyone would you know would immediately log into AOL Instant Messenger when they got home and chat with their friends about what was going on with them their music choices and the movies that they'd seen but then oh, also yeah. my uh, my status message was always my latest music oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. actually that was one of the things that I loved about this every you know uh, Emily every time you spoke 
Facebook Doer has a different status message. It's always a quote from period appropriate music. Each Excellent. year or conversation, you get to pick a new buddy icon. And the buddy icons are always like perfectly matched to the year that they came out. So, you know, some of them will be just like weird animals, but others will be things like a bad pixel art version of the Kill Bill logo or like of like certain album covers, like a Radiohead logo. Like it's so spot on with evoking AOL Instant Messenger in its particular era. Um, So, yeah. I, I give this an absolute like high recommendation. Once this does become available as a commercial product, check it out. I cannot wait to play that. That sounds really awesome. So um, the next one I played was called Laid Off from the Synesthesia Factory by Catherine Moriarty. And um, this piece, again, I did say it was set in a depressing apartment right after you're laid off. So um, uh, the person in question was a creative at a factory that made um, kind of a wearable that lets you explore, you know, kind of would alter your the color you saw and would change your mood kind of hippy dippy um, from a but she was fired for basically not doing any work. Um, it's a really interesting format, because it is a puzzleless parser. That's the one where you type in commands. It kind of felt like her story in a way. You could give commands, but they didn't exactly work the same you would expect. Um, and you could pick up phrases from the story that you found interesting and type them in. Uh, it never gave you a command, um, a response to your command that said, you know, don't understand. It always just gave you more story. So you never quite knew if the words you were typing in were triggering special story snippets or if you were um, just, you know, getting a default message. A, a whole wealth of little snippets that are in there. And so it really gave this surreal quality where you were kind of talking to a person and you might say, I want to learn more about this. And they may or may not choose to answer you. If you download it, you can actually save the text file as a story with all your commands taken out after you finish. Oh, that's clever. I believe there's different endings. Um, I know that... When I played, uh, it ended suddenly, and I would like to replay. There's no saving, restoring, undoing in this game, even though it's a parser. You just have to restart. And this is one of the games that, looking over the list, I kind of understood the least. Like, its mm-hmm. description is, you know, interesting and kind of evocative, and, you know, it does a... Um, but but I I really didn't kind of get what it's about. Like, it, it says it's a story generator, and then it says... Um, Synpiece, a wearable technology that changes the wearer's mood. Users of the Synpiece can adjust the color of their experience, which adjusts psychological traits mapped in hue, emotion, saturation, intensity, and value, complexity. The Synpiece can be used by brands to increase users' engagement. Like, what does that mean in terms of a description of what I'm going to be playing? Like, it's very... And the language in the game is similar. I mean, that is a quote from the game. That is the proposal you write about the wearable that you pitched before Mm -hmm. you got fired. Um, a line I screenshotted because it felt very representative. Um, your apartment in theory, a neutral base to practice and study this business of feelings with no interference. Decor would be a stain, life a confounding variable. This translates in design to minimalism. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like a, sounds like an interesting experiment. I'm, I'm interested to play it if I have a chance, but yeah, that's, and you said it sort of, what, what sort of commands are you giving it? 
Um, mostly it was like her story. I would pick up phrases like send peace. I mean, I, if I said, look, I got a description of the, the place I was in. Um, I would type in things like, you know, there's a computer and I checked my email, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, there were post-its on my monitor, so I read the post-its. So you can kind of direct the conversation, but it does very much feel like a stream of consciousness that um, you're really just looking around the room, taking actions. Occasionally the story, um, you know, something will intrude upon your um, your behavior. I actually make you move forward with the story. But it felt more like reading fiction than a lot of interactive fiction does because your actions felt inevitable in a way that I'm not sure I've ever felt before in a game and not been mad about. Usually in games, if you feel like it's inevitable, your choices are taken away. And here I felt like I had no idea if my choices meant anything. I had an existential crisis over this game, basically. <laughs> All right. Wow. Well, that's something that uh, the interactive fiction can do that very few other types of games can. So it's pretty interesting uh, in- Interesting to see. And that's one of the things that I love about the the IF comp is that, like, there's no really one type of game that always sort of drifts to the surface here. You know, sometimes the top game will be some very... I, conventional is the wrong word because they're always at least inventive if they sort of float to the top of this list. But, um, you know, there'll be they'll be more sort of, quote unquote, conventional, you know, parser, puzzle, uh, you know, clever bits of, uh, of adventure gamey text. But sometimes things do win that are really a stretch, that really are interesting. And so, yeah, I'm really interesting, interested to see how this does. And I want to play it myself. Um, I played one more game that I didn't get very far in yet, so I'm, I'm hesitant to really even say much about it. But the uh, the one other game that I played a bit of before recording uh, was Map by Adi? Ade? A-D-E. The, the author's a name day, is... A Day, probably. A Day. Thank you. Um, it's a, it's a, just a single name. Um, but his uh, or her Twitter handle is MikePreston99, so perhaps, perhaps A Day is also Mike Preston. Anyway, I, I played Map, uh, which is a parser game. It's a it's a text based parser game, sort of like the others that we've talked about. But it uh, it seems to be about, and I say seems to be because, like I said, I haven't gotten super deep into it, and it also seems like it's uh, it's doing some pretty interesting stuff. But it seems to be about a sort of an empty nest couple or a woman who is uh, you know in in a house with her husband, having you know had her her children, her adult children uh, leave the house, and the house is literally getting larger. So not just the sort of empty nest feeling of a large house. The house is literally expanding around her. And um, it sort of stands out because the the text of the game is really well written. Like, I really enjoyed reading it. Um, so far, I haven't encountered any puzzles, but that's just probably because I haven't gotten very far into it yet. I don't really know exactly how the game is going to be progressing. But what is really interesting about it is that it really seems that the game is all about mapping the house and understanding how it's expanding over time. It has a it has a pretty clever, you know, in-game map that you can pull up at any time, which is a little unusual for a um, for a parser style game like this. And also, it has an interesting set of wait commands where you can allow time to pass. Um, you can do things like uh, immediately wait till tomorrow or wait to a particular time of day or at any time check what time of day it is. Um, so I, like I said, I haven't gotten far enough into it, but all of the writing in the game have, has been top-notch, so I'm definitely going to keep at it. I, I think it's really, I think it's really good. Like, 
it, it's hard to say this without, you know, having only spent maybe 30 minutes with it, you know, and I, all I really got a chance to do so far was read the help and then explore every room in the game. I haven't even used those, those clever wait commands yet to explore past the initial, I don't know, day or whatever period, but all of the writing was really solid. Like like each room had a description that was more than just about the room. You know, the, the main character was remembering arguments she had had with her husband in that room or about the objects that you're investigating. She, you know, sees her husband, her, her son's room and remembers things about her son and a, about her husband asking her to throw away her son's possession saying he's never coming back. And, you know, um, her inner conflict thinking that every time that the, the, uh, the light on the answering machine blinks that it's got to be him, her son. And that sort of thing, that writing really carries me along. So I have, I've downloaded this game onto my phone. I'm going to be playing it on the plane tomorrow on my way to, to the wedding. And so hopefully I'll have a little bit more, uh, you know, in-depth thoughts about it soon. But this one grabbed me really with its writing right in the first few, you know, screens. So um, definitely one to check out if you like that more sort of literary style. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Shane, what did you play? I, uh, I got a chance to dip into a couple of games uh, this time around. Uh, this has been a bit of a busy week for me, and so I haven't gotten as far into these games as I would really like to. Uh, but what I can say is that both of these games have been so uh, good that I'm definitely going to be continuing with them. So the first one is the one that I'm, I'm, I knew I would want to play right away. Um, I, played, uh, I played Toby's Nose uh, for our spring thing episode and the same author Chandler Grover, uh, has written, I hope I'm saying that right. There's, it's a double O could be Chandler Groover. <laughs> I um, choose to believe it's a Groover. I like he's Groover. A, he's a pretty groovy dude, but yeah. So this, this, this game, uh, midnight sword fight, uh, the, the, the description of it here is it's a fool receives a challenge from a countess, Violence, sex, profanity, sausage. <laughs> and it's definitely a unique game. It's really, uh, at first I thought it was going to be a pretty typical interactive fiction with, you know, your, your standard stuff. But what I think is really neat about this guy's, um, this guy's games is what he does is really cleverly limit your verbs. Just like in, um, in Toby's Nose, where you were basically limited to a single, well, to two verbs, smell and bark. Um, in this, you're limited. You're not quite as limited, but what you're limited by is this really clever, uh, this really clever mechanic where in your inventory, you have a play script. And if you try, if you try, so you start off um, in this game, uh, you are standing in front of the countess and she's uh, she's got her sword pointed at you and um, every action that you take right off the bat is immediately followed by you being stabbed to death <laughs> and losing <laughs> this sword fight. Um, and uh, most of the actions that you might try, a lot of the kind of typical things you might try, like, you know, go north, um, are going to tell you, you can't do that. That's not in the script. It's not in the play script. Hmm. In your inventory is a play script. And that script is full of, it, ha, it contains a description of the scene you're currently in, 
and a list of stage directions that are basically the actions you can take. Oh. So here's an example. Oh, midnight mm. sword fight, like stage. Oh, that's neat. Exactly. Okay, go ahead. Very yeah, nice. Midnight comma sword fight is the first scene. So, so the the first scene, your play script says a fool receives a challenge from a countess and explores various avenues to thwart the countess prior to their duel. Stage directions: inventory, examine, take, drop. Talk to, future, past, clockwise, counterclockwise, wear, undress, kiss when wearing Motley. So uh, the movement in this game is the most unique thing because the movement is not north, south, east, west, or up, down, in, out. It is future, past, clockwise, counterclockwise. Future and past are somewhat um, self-explanatory. You're able to move freely in time, almost like you're flipping through the pages in this script of a play that you're you're experiencing from the inside. Um, clockwise and counterclockwise are actually really, um, so far as I could tell, very abstract. Like they move you from scene to scene in a different way. Mm. Kind of move you from related scene to related scene. Uh, the the puzzles here are pretty straightforward. Like you're you're able to to you know take items from one point in time and move them to another and things like that. But the the writing is as as it was as was true in uh, Toby's Nose. The writing is top notch. Um, the the scenery and the characters are really unique and interesting. I am really loving this game, and I did not get to spend enough time with it. I'm really interested in what. What else I'm going to be able to explore here? Wow, that sounds absolutely top notch. I can't wait to play yeah. myself. Yeah, this, this, I, I, I'm going to be following this guy uh, in the future going forward. Just period. I I felt so much shame at having to use the um, the help system and like look up a solution to Toby's nose for the game last time that I really held off on this one, and so I'm I'm still kind of working my way through it, but really really cool. Um, the, uh, the other game that I'm playing, um, is also pretty unique. This one's called Sub Rosa, um, or the seven deceits of Confessor Destine. (laughs) Uh, Good title. Love it. Yeah. Pretty good title. Um, and this one is not so experimental in terms of kind of the action elements of the game, like what you're actually doing. Uh, but it does feel a little bit off kilter and unique. In the setting, um, it's sort of a stealth game where you're mm. trying to infiltrate this uh, kind of incredible mansion. And I did not get that far into this one, although I didn't. And that was more limited by my my time. I got a couple of puzzles in, but the the thing that's most unique about this game is uh, the the scenery and the items in your inventory. You start off with um, things like. Uh, you're you're wearing a llama suit. Uh, it says, from feet to appendages to head, your form is completely covered by a thin weave suit made wholly from the will the wool of the pellucid llama. It renders you undetectable to all the senses that matter, including your own. You wove it yourself <laughs> under the tutelage of a master weaver, white widow, for her knowledge and silence. She only asked the whereabouts of her seven wayward sons. As you wove the invisible thread, she slowly and solemnly sapped each one, all while instructing you how to avoid dropping unseeable lines. 
Uh, so like th- this is a hard to understand game. Like I, as I got forward through, I started to really question a lot of my base assumptions about the game. Like I'm, I started off thinking, oh, I'm, I'm sneaking into, you know, the confessor's mansion. And by the end I was starting to wonder like, is the main character human? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. So, uh, there's, there's also a secrets counter at the top of the game. It, so it says the seven yes. deceits of confessor Destine. Uh, at the top of the screen, there's this sort of ominous zero of seven secrets discovered. And uh, I, I, I'm going to continue to kind of explore this one. The the, the writing and uh, and descriptions are pretty uh, intriguing, and, and it's pulling me along. Ah, uh, you had me at secret counter. I mean, oh, that, yeah. That mechanic, if even if I wasn't... Even if it wasn't as um, enjoyable as it seems it is, I would have just been suckered into that thing. Yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, it starts off with some some pretty interesting scenery and, and the, but the, the number of items and things like that, you're, you're using the items in kind of conventional ways, but their descriptions are really unique. Um, and I think the, the, the puzzles are simple enough that it, I was moving through the game at a pretty good clip. Uh, I just didn't have enough time to get fully through it. So I'm going to be continuing with that one. So, Obviously, there are 55 games as a part of this year's IF Comp 2015. We're not going to be able to even mention the names of all of them, but there are a lot more on this list that are standing out to me as things that I really want to play. So not only am I going to try to complete the games that I've already started and probably some of the ones that that, uh, Laura and Shane both mentioned, I know I'm particularly interested in the one by the guy who made Toby's Nose, uh, Midnight Sword Fight. That just really... Groover? Yeah, that just really stands out to me. Um, But all of these sound super great. And there's a bunch more on this list that sound really great too. Um, So first off, thanks enormously to Emily Short for helping us select the games to focus on first. I know I wouldn't have been able to do that because I'm just not quite as keyed into the, you know, the, the interactive fiction scene. Um, not quite as I'm, I'm nowhere near as keyed into it as Emily Short is. She's sort as of, one of its most prominent figures. No. <laughs> I'm not quite as important to the scene as Emily Short, but um, it has it been enormously helpful to, to have her even just bare impressions to, to go by. But there's a ton more here that I cannot wait to play. Um, just glancing over the titles, there are some that really, really are intriguing. So we're going to keep playing these, and I expect that probably next week we'll come back with some more details about maybe more interactive fiction games from this year's IF Comp that we are uh, that we have tried and are interested in, in talking about. Um, if you want to vote in this year's IF Comp, it is open to you. You, yes, you can vote in the IF Comp. All you have to do is look at this list. Pick out any five games that you think are interesting and then vote on them. Play them for at least two hours each. Actually, not at least two hours. Play them for whatever duration you feel is appropriate. And once you reach about two hours, if if the game goes that long, then make a decision about whether they are a 1, a 10, someplace in between. Take a look at the website. They have some sort of unique traditions about voting. You know, this is not the... um, seven out of 10 is garbage kind of scale that a lot of video game reviews follow. And once you've made your choices, go on the website and make your votes. And I know that we're going to do that. Um, I'm not sure yet whether we're going to vote as a block, like as the short game or all uh, each individually. Um, Any thoughts about that, guys? I I think I'm going to try to vote this year. I have never actually successfully played enough games in IF Comp to vote. And I have always 
relied on the wisdom of the community to kind of feed me the very best of the best. And this year, I want to repay that debt to the community, and I want to actually vote, and I want to have my say, and I want to, uh, I want to be contributing in the small way that I can by by voting in this contest. I'll do the same, and um, we'll be back next week with more impressions of more of the interactive fiction uh, from this year's IF Comp. So, um, apart from playing these cool text games. What have you guys been up to this week? A lot of work. Yeah. I've been playing more cool text games, to be honest. <laughs> um, you nerd. I know. I just can't get enough of reading. Um, I think I... Uh, maybe I just was excited about the English language, because I spent you know, a week and a half in Japan. But um, Yeah, I, you didn't really tell us anything about your trip, and maybe you're... Well... I don't know. That seems like it's not that interesting to the podcast, maybe. I, I don't know. Maybe so. Anyway, <laughs> you'll have to tell me all about it off mic. Um, I can. I will say that um, the most popular photo of my trip has been the ladies of the Luftwaffe action figure that I took a bunch <laughs> of pictures of. Um, yes, she is frozen in a plasticine hail. It's very disturbing. Um, however... Uh, games I've played, um, 80 Days, which was one of the first um, IF pieces we talked about on the podcast, um, has just had a big update. Um, for those who do not know the game, it's an iOS app that's now on Steam. Yeah, Windows and, and Mac, I think, right? Windows and Mac. Um, and to kind of celebrate the big platform release, they added um, basically another game's worth of content to it. Oh, man. Um America has been completely redone. It's around the world in 80 days. Um, so you now have, you know, Canada. There's a trip to the moon that I have discovered. Um, you can, you know, I think the part that was hurting people from replaying was the trips across the ocean. And now mm. that you can go um, into South America and Canada, there's a lot more ocean travel as well. Oh, so, that's great. It's a real big refresh. 80, 80 Days is one of the greatest games that we've played on this show. Like, it, it's hard to really, really rank, is. but it's it's such a great piece of work. And if you have an iPhone or an Android phone or now a Mac or PC, it's an unmissable thing. Uh, Times Mag Time Magazine gave it their um, game of the year last year. I know they're not really like a... They're coveted. You didn't know they gave this award award. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but but it is it is kind of important because they tend to... I mean, I don't even know if they have done that before, but they, they made a point of doing it because I think it's something that is accessible to literally anyone, but is absolutely captivating. 80 Days is so great. And knowing they've added more content, like it's a game that is designed to be played multiple times. It doesn't take long to play. You know, hey, the short game. And it's... It's so worth playing again and again because there's just so much to it. And now there's even more to it. So, oh, my God. I can't um, wait to try again. There's a billion more cities to wander through and, you know, wonderful, dangerous, muscle-bound women driving steamships. <laughs> um, I can't wait to just put it up on my Mac and, like, hook it up to my TV and play it on a big screen. Absolutely. Yeah. That'd be neat. Um, and, and then I just want to give a quick little shout-out. I've kind of gotten... Um, refresh my interest in Fall in London, and um, Emily Short did this month's um, subscriber story, um, which if you uh, don't play, um, Fall in London um, used to be called Echo Bazaar. It's kind of this Victorian steampunk, long interactive browser game. Um, Is there any news on their, uh, on their iOS port yet? 
It is um, will be released this year. It's in beta, so Ooh, I can't wait. They let me in on the beta, and I'm uh, uh, I I won't say any more. It's pretty good. Oh, yeah, really? I'm enjoying Dang. it, and it, it really. <laughs> that's why I've gotten back into it. I think is because um, I was kind of playing more once a week, but um, knowing it's coming out on iOS and being able to also test the beta. Sorry, Reagan. Um, has uh, just made it that much easier to fall back into it. So, wow, I'm really excited to give that another try. Like, I think really this the just the the interface of it was the only real stumbling block that kept me from really immersing myself in it. So I'm really looking forward to that iOS release. And I'm really excited to hear that Emily Short was working on it because I mean, I'm such a fan of hers. Thanks so much again to her for helping us pick the stuff for this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think we ought to have like a special bell we ring every time her name comes up on this show because it's like seems like every episode. I know. And you know, the short game, you know, basically named after her. That's a secret. <laughs> oh, She's now getting a restraining order against her again. Uh-huh. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. So, um, and and this week I have been playing a ton of games, but actually a lot of them are ones that I really hope that we want that we can cover on this show, so I won't talk about them in too much depth here. Um, I finally completed Undertale, which was recommended by one of the listeners of this show. And I'm so Which one? Damn glad. You I actually call him out. I actually Stop. cannot say because he asked not to be named. Um, okay that's weird yeah i don't know why wouldn't you want this kind of fame (laughs) yep uh (laughs) huge fame so thank you so much to the listener who wrote in and and told me that i should be playing undertale you were so right it was it may be the the best game i've played all year i i cannot wait to talk about it on this show i just need to beat my various co-hosts into giving it a try um so if you out there are on the fence about whether or not to play undertale you should you really really should and i would also argue don't read anything about it in terms of the endings now there are multiple endings i don't think that's a spoiler and i also think you can say that it's it's really heavily inspired by the sort of uh visuals and sort of wistful tone of nostalgia and also general comedic nature of something like earthbound but it's so much tighter than earthbound and it it makes its point more clearly. Um, you know, it's there's nothing lost in translation. Earthbound, it really always felt like is is a wonderful piece of of beautiful nostalgia, but it also it's a piece uh, that had to be you know uh, localized, and it's a wonderful localization. But you know, it, it's it's not quite all there. Whereas this really feels like a beautiful, complete, clever work, and everything about it is firing on all cylinders. It's one of the best games I've I've played this year without a doubt. So definitely pick up Undertale. It's only 10 bucks. You can buy it on Steam and it runs great on the Mac or PC. Um, I don't know if you'll ever see this get a console release, so I wouldn't wait for it. I, I can't spoil why, but I think there's some things about it that are are not going to work on consoles. You should play this on your PC and you should play it today. And I, I hope that some of my co-hosts will give it a try based on my now glowing recommendation. My so odds of doing work it. on the plane trip have gone down immensely. Wonderful. Okay. The other game that I've only just barely started and I tweeted about it just a little bit um, is uh, Read Only Memories. Um, I'm really, really into its visuals and soundtrack so far. And the characters are really cute. Um, so, you know, Read Only Memories is a straight up 
homage to the visuals of Snatcher. And if you haven't played Snatcher, which you could be forgiven for not playing it, I've only played like the first third of it at the very most. It's a it's a uh, Sega CD or Sega Saturn, and I think there's a few other platforms it came out on. Um, uh, point-and-click adventure game in a sort of cyberpunk style from back in the 90s. I think it was a Kojima thing. Um, anyway, it looks amazing, and this does an eerie job of imitating the visual style and even maybe improving on it because it's, you know, it's, it's great retro art, but not in such a way that it feels like it's sort of fetishizing like the SNES, like everything does. It's, it's sort of, uh, sort of very specifically focusing on this sort of anime inspired style that is, you know, that was really perfected by Snatcher. It's beautiful and it's got adorable characters um, the dialogue is cute and fun, and the interface is really solidly designed. That was the thing that really was my roadblock in Snatcher. It's just hard to play, but but this is not. It's fun. It's easy to play. They've made it easy to pick up. Uh, you can play it with a mouse and keyboard, or you can play it with a gamepad. Um, they you know got some nice quality of life stuff like easy to easy saves and you know easy to save management save management stuff, um, and just some just some stuff that I think will be important for some folks. This is developed by the people that run GamerX, the alternative game conference here in San Jose uh, that's sort of targeted at uh, at the LGBT gamers, but also other folks who just sort of are on the fringes of gaming or, you know, feel marginalized and, and want a place to come together and celebrate games and themselves. And I'm going to that this year. I'm really excited about it this December. Um, so the game really sort of shows that off. The characters are really diverse and interesting. Um, the game gives you an option to choose what type of pronouns you want to be addressed by, including a custom option where you can choose literally anything you want. And it, it will it's just a really clever little bit of programming that I, I really respect. Like It's a great game. Like It's a really good game. So far, I've only really scraped the surface. I haven't solved the mystery yet, but... I'm definitely gonna gonna complete this one. So I'm really excited to have so many great games to play and so little time to play them in, but say la vie. What a week. Um, so I guess, Laura, I will see you in just a bare few hours. Yes, fewer than 24. And um, thanks so much to our listeners for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. If you have uh, a game from the IF Comp that you're intrigued by, let us know. If you think we've missed something that's really cool, write to us at info at the short game.net, uh, or uh, you can go to www.theshortgame.net and you can uh, leave some info in our feedback form there, or you can follow our show on Twitter. We are at underscore short game. I've been your host, Reagan Kelly, and you can follow me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Laura, where can people find you? You can also find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Shane, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at 8BitShane. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.